0: I'm trying to understand Vygotsky's theory in a way that's easy to explain. This is harder than I had hoped. For instance, a sufficient understanding of dialectics and dialectical logic appears to be a requirement. In this episode, I read some helpful notes that I received from a trusted source, Kevin DeLaPlante, with sincere thanks to him. Kevin's work can be found at kevindelaplante.com. It appears that fully understanding Fugatsky's theory is impossible without at least a minimal grasp of dialectics, and this is not a field that I am uh, trained in at all. So I've been trying to gather information wherever I can, and I've recently turned to somebody who I trust on this topic uh, to pose my initial impressions of the concept and to seek Uh, a real response. So this is the message that I shared. What is dialectics? Briefly, an attempt. Dialectics is the philosophical methodology to study development. Two, dialectics is about development. Three, dialectics is the logic of development. So the deepest understanding of any sort of development example cultural or historical or psychological development is a dialectical understanding of development four according to dialectics contradiction is the moving force or engine of development five it seems that dialectics is a method of analysis that a is used to analyze development of various types individual social culture cultural etc And B specifically focuses on how contradiction drives development. The first four statements were taken from my interviews with Nikolai Varasov. The fifth statement was my attempt to understand what I was hearing. And what follows is a response from a trusted source. Uh, My question was, am I on the right track here? the response is as follows, one, dialectic in its most general form refers to a method of philosophical argument that involves some sort of contradictory process between opposing ideas. This differs from your definition, Anthony, in that it doesn't highlight the development up front. The application of dialectics to development I view as an application rather than an originating concept. At its core, it's a method of philosophical argumentation, but contradiction as a driver of change is central to the concept. The root word is shared with dialogue. The the originating idea involves the act of conversation between two people. Two. Dialectic methods and ideas take on various forms. In Greek philosophy, the classic presentation is Plato's Dialogues, where he has Socrates conversing with various interlocutors. Here, the opposing idea, ideas are the opinions of each of the parties. The contradictory process is an act of presenting opinions, asking questions, offering replies, challenging arguments, revising judgments, abandoning a judgment, etc. One of the common methods is to show when premises lead to contradictions, which compels us to abandon or to revise those premises. Plato presents this dialectic as a method for acquiring knowledge. The ideas that each party starts out with are simpler, less well-developed, and the dialectic acts to transform these ideas, so that at the end of the process they're better, more sophisticated, and less vulnerable to contradiction this is where the idea of development appears but in the root context it's the development of ideas of reasons that is the focus the dialectical method is a method of improving and acquiring knowledge 3 through the middle ages methods of argumentation based on dialectic were popular theological disputation was modeled on dialectical methods jewish yeshiva christian scholasticism in the monasteries etc 4. Hegel is hugely influential in the later development of dialectic as a theory of the relationship between capital R, reason, and the world, capital W. For Hegel, the dialectical movement of reason corresponds to the dialectical movement of the world. Hegel's move can be seen as a response to Kant's defense of reason against Hume. David Hume, challenged the traditional conception of scientific knowledge as holding a representation of the world inside our heads, like a copy, but Hume argued that many scientific concepts, like causal necessity, are not found in nature, but rather are psychological projections of the human mind onto the world. The world isn't necessarily isn't governed by necessarily laws, nor is our expectation that the world is governed by necessary laws a rational expectation, it's just a learned habit. Kant didn't like this. He wanted to argue that our belief in the rational order of the world was justified. But he took Hume's argument seriously. Kant's move was to invert the traditional way of thinking about knowledge. The rational world doesn't impose its nature on our minds. Rather, our rational minds impose its nature on the world. The world we experience is a construction of the human faculty of understanding. We take raw sensory experience and add spatial and temporal structure to it. We then take this structure and impose conceptual categories on it quantity, quality, necessity, possibility, causality, etc. The world appears to us with this structure already given because this structure is a necessary precondition for having any experience of the world at all. This is a major conceptual shift in the history of philosophy. But in Kant's system there is a gap between the world as experienced and the world as it is, independent of experience, the thing in itself. For Kant, we, cannot have, we can have no knowledge of the thing in itself, only knowledge of the thing as experienced. He is a skeptic about knowledge of the world beyond and behind experience. Hegel agrees with much of Kant's reasoning, but he doesn't like the gap. He wants to say that we can have knowledge of the thing in itself, the world beyond experience. And his move is to reject the very idea of a reality beyond the reach of our categories. There is no thing in itself. There is only the world as structured by reason. Five. We haven't gotten to the dialectical part yet. Here... Hegel is inspired by Kant, too. Kant has a set of famous arguments for the conclusion that reason can't be used to acquire knowledge of the world as it is in itself, independent of sensory experience. The basic idea is that if you start from different starting points, each equally rational, you can generate contradictions, example, that the universe is both finite and infinite in age. Kant calls these antimonies of reason. The traditional view of contradictions in logic is that they point to an error in your thinking. A contradiction can't be true. If you indulge a contradiction, then you can infer anything you want, which makes your reasoning empty. Hegel was bothered by this. Kant was saying you can't reason about the world itself in itself because such reasoning generates contradictions. But for Hegel, the world in itself is already a world structured by reason, and the world hasn't disappeared in a puff of logic. Hegel infers that the contradictions that Kant is pointing to are not fatal to reason. On the contrary, they are the engine of reason. Six. So, Hegel embraces this idea that reason necessarily generates contradiction, but he adopts a view of contradiction which is unconventional. You could say that he adopts a dialectical conception of contradiction. Contradictions involve the interaction of opposing ideas. This creates a kind of logical pressure for concepts to evolve in ways that resolve the contradiction. Contradictions can exist, but they're in a state of dynamic tension that drives change in a particular direction. This progression parallels the dialectical evolution of ideas in a Socratic dialogue. At the start, the ideas are simpler. They contain within themselves the seeds of contradiction that will eventually compel them to evolve and become more sophisticated. In the Socratic's case, it is human reason that drives this evolution of ideas. For Hegel, reason resides as much in the world itself as it does in the mind of human beings. The world has a rational soul, a spirit. The evolution of ideas in accordance with reason corresponds to the evolution of reality. The dialectic of reason is the engine that drives change and development in all aspects of reality. 7. This is Hegel's absolute idealism, as his metaphysical position is commonly called. He doesn't believe in a material world that exists independently of reason. The principles that govern the evolution of ideas are the very same principles that govern the evolution of the world, hence the label idealism. This is the, quote, Hegelian dialectic, or dialectical idealism. Eight. Hegel's views on dialectic are commonly identified with the triplets of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. A, quote, thesis describes a state that contains within itself contradictions that eventually manifest as an opposing state, an antithesis. The interaction of thesis and antithesis creates a kind of dynamical pressure that necessitates the emergence of a third state, a synthesis that resolves the contradiction. This new synthesis can then be viewed as a new thesis statement, and the process continues, leading to a progressive evolution of states that resolve the contradictions of the previous states. Hegel himself doesn't use this language, actually, and he actually objected to this conception of dialectic. The philosopher Fichte is the one who popularized it, But in Hegel's system, dialectic doesn't operate in such a mechanical fashion. And his dialectical arguments don't always involve triples like this. Be that as it may, it's a useful model to have in mind because so many people who are influenced by Hegel adopt it in some form. 9. After Hegel, we have a succession of Hegel-inspired thinkers who pick up Hegel's dialectical, dialectical logic and his disposition to view the natural and social world in dialectical terms. Hegel, for example, thought that conflicts between nation states would manifest this kind of progressive evolutionary logic. Marx and Engels are the obvious examples. They each started out as Hegelians, but they eventually rejected his metaphysical idealism and located the dialectical movement in the conflict between social classes and the material conditions of social reality and created a theory of historical change out of that Engels is the one who pushed a deeper metaphysical interpretation he really thought of the dialectic as a new kind as a new logic of nature that governed the emergence of order hierarchy and change in both the natural and social worlds Marx was never that kind of metaphysical philosopher though He thought of the dialectic primarily as a tool for critically analyzing societies and social institutions and the economic conditions that drive social change. Lenin followed in the footsteps of Engels and really pushes dialectical materialism as a metaphysical system for all of philosophy and science. Stalin follows in Lenin's footsteps and writes up his own version in 1939. This is the version that became the compulsory philosophy taught within Soviet Russia for many decades. You couldn't be a scientist in Russia in this era and not be compelled to frame your theories within this broader conceptual structure. Using ideas from bourgeois European and American scientists was strongly discouraged, which unfortunately held many areas of Russian science back by several decades. This version of dialectics is, by now, quite far removed from Hegel's dialectics, even though everyone tries to claim Hegel as their intellectual forefather. 10. Getting back to the theme of development. It's not false to say that dialectical thinking in the 20th century has focused on understanding processes of change and development over time. Soviet-style systems theory emerged in this time period, which combined a natural philosophy that could be described as dialectical organicism with other systems-oriented concepts and formalisms. This became the dominant intellectual toolset for most academic work conducted in the natural and social sciences under communism in the Soviet Union and eventually in China. Systems thinking flourished in the Soviet Union during a time when more reductionist approaches to science were dominant in Europe and America. So it's very natural that Russian biology and psychology, two sciences that explicitly study development, would be strongly influenced by these ideas. I think that's all I have to say about this.